Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome everybody to a really exciting episode of the Ballhawks podcast. Uh, I am your host, Steve Fisher. You can find me on Twitter at SSFisher87. And as always, my assistant to the host. Uh, this week, Chris, <laughs> you are going to be... Uh, I'm throwing you a curveball today. You're my Chewbacca. I have Christopher Gordon Phillips on today. <laughs> <laughs> you you finally figured it out. I think it was my dad's Facebook comment that probably... Um kind of led led you down down the the correct path so sarah um steve's been trying to guess my middle name for the last month now probably and well he, he got it but uh yeah hey steve happy to be here um of course you guys can find me on twitter as well at phillips chris 12 and of course please follow the uh at ballhawks underscore pod yeah you kind of uh jumped the gun there but i'm really excited that i guessed your middle name it's been you know, eight episodes of guessing some really random names. And I thought, you know what? Why not just guess dad's name? That's, it's a good, it's a good go-to, right? Um, so as Chris alluded to, we have a really special guest today. Um, she is a former Ravens editor. She is the creator of the Man of the Crowd podcast, which featured nine episodes, I believe. And she also created the Late for Work column that still runs today on baltimoreravens.com and if that wasn't enough she is also a mother to four very young children we have sarah ellison on with us how are you doing sarah doing well how are you guys doing thanks for having me on yeah thanks for coming on we're uh we're doing a lot better now that you're on (laughs) well i love this that you it took you like a month to get his name that would be like the first thing you got to go to the dad's first name that's the way you gotta go yeah, it was. It's kind of funny. We we do this. I always give him a sidekick at the start of every episode, and uh, always try to guess his middle name. And it wasn't until a, I think it maybe even was last week, I I guessed his uncle's name randomly, which I didn't know was his uncle's name, and that sparked the dad thing. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm and, glad and... I could be here for this moment that you that <laughs> finally got it. It's so w- special. Witnessing the most <laughs> historic moment of all time groundbreaking but now steve's gonna be lost for the open for next week's episode <laughs> now, now that he's lost that uh that shtick <laughs> yeah. and, and steve I, I just want to throw myself under the bus here a little bit with the 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 chewbacca i've never seen star wars oh. so i I, did, I had nothing i had nothing to to give you on that one that's why i just ignored it oh no like it it <laughs> There, there's a lot of forgivable and unforgivable things. I feel like that's a pretty unforgivable thing. Sarah, have you seen Star Wars? Obviously. <sighs> I cannot believe that this might be the one person <laughs> on the planet that has not. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, another little fun innuendo here. We did a uh, one of our earlier episodes, our first guest, actually, we did a little bit of trivia thing. And Chris exposed me for having not seen uh, a lot of very famous football movies. So I'm glad we could expose him on uh, a, a little bit of pop culture ourselves here. Okay. What can I just get one football movie of the big one, a big one you haven't seen? Oh, how, how about this? You pick one and I would almost guarantee I haven't seen it. Rudy? Never seen it. Uh, that is bananas. We are doing a football podcast and you haven't seen Rudy. Return of the Titans? Oh my gosh. I know, right? I don't know what I got myself into here. Right. <laughs> you, you didn't do your homework by listening to our podcast or you would have uh you would have definitely known things like yeah, remember the Titans, Friday Night Lights, Rudy, I said Varsity Return, Blues. I said Return of the Titans, so now I can be, you know, now I'm <laughs> I'm not. I'm not any better now. It's okay, but everyone knew what you were talking about, so it's okay. Just because I like digging this knife a little deeper every week, he also hasn't seen Varsity Blues or Any Given Sunday. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So um, we we first kind of wanted to start off with. Uh, a little bit of your background history, obviously, uh, on your Twitter bio there, you are a BYU alumni. Um, when did you first go there? I went to BYU, I think, in 2003. Uh, I was just coming off of uh, a church mission. So I went there. I transferred there from a smaller school just just a little bit down the road, but um yeah, the connection to the Ravens is that Brian Billick went to BYU and he was a public relations intern way back in the day. He played tight end there. And so when he was the head coach, um, he was the head coach when I graduated in 2005 and the public relations department hired four interns every year. And uh, that was just for the summer in internship. And so of those four... He wanted, um, he asked them to pick one to be from BYU. So I was close to graduating and I had no clue what I was going to do. I also graduated in public relations, um, although I didn't stay in public relations longer than a year, but, um, but I graduated in that. And so what I was on the BYU communications website, uh, looking just for ideas of what to do. And I saw an internship for the Ravens and it had never occurred to me that I could be in professional sports without being an athlete, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I topped out at, at high school. And so, um, so I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't I, why didn't I think about a career in sports? And so, uh, luckily I had done some sports writing. Um, but, but anyway, so I applied and, and I originally got a call back from BYU is what they were going to do is they took the top two resumes from BYU and they're going to send them over to Baltimore. Well, originally they called me and said, sorry, we didn't choose your resume. Good luck in future endeavors. And I was like, well, it was a dream for like an hour. So, you know, it wasn't too heartbroken. <laughs> uh, but they called back and they said, Baltimore asked for a third resume and we chose yours. And I was like, sweet. I was like, all I need is an interview. And I know I can convince them. And so I ended up getting the internship. It was supposed to be only for the summer because of the four, only two was going to be allowed to stay. And they had already chosen the two that they were going to stay for the whole year. 
but uh, I was lucky because a, a woman in public relations got pregnant. And so about a week before I was supposed to go home, they were like, hey, we're going to keep a third in- intern this year because she'll be on maternity leave. Uh, are you interested in staying? So about a week. And so anyway, I just got lucky on, on all ends, uh, took advantage of the, you know, random opportunities that I had and turned that into 13 years at the Ravens. So were you a fan of the Ravens or like, did you follow the NFL before you saw that posting? Is that kind of what led you? Toward, I definitely, like, hey. Yeah, I have four brothers. I mean, I also have two sisters, but I have four brothers. I grew up mostly with them. And uh, so, but I, I grew up in Colorado. So I grew up a big Denver Broncos fan. And I, I actually remember it felt like, um, cause you know, especially back in then when I was in high school, the Ravens were still brand new and so I really, all I knew is that it felt like every time the Broncos played them, they couldn't beat them. And so I was like <laughs> so mad at this new Ravens team, this expansion team that the Broncos were having a hard time beating. And so I really didn't grow up following them again. So I was like John Elway and the Broncos and all that. And so I had no ties to them. But when I came, I was like Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Jonathan Ogden, like all of it. It was just like you know, crazy, just a crazy experience. So, uh, you become a fan of the team you work for really quick for a few reasons. One, <laughs> I will be a fan for pretty much whoever's going to pay me, you know, my, <laughs> so like, that's not too bad. But the second thing is you really do. Like I let go of the Broncos pretty quickly because you, uh, you know, feel like you're a part of the team. You're with these guys, you're traveling with these guys, you're interacting with them, you eat in the same lunchroom. And so, you very, very quickly feel like um, this is this is your team, you know, as if you got signed by somebody else or whatever. So very quickly, I mean, I mean, with after the first year, I was already, I mean, or during the internship, it was like already the Ravens were above the Broncos for me. So yeah. So uh, initially, you probably signed or you know applied to to go be with the Ravens because you're like. I watched this team decimate my Broncos for years and years, so I know I'll get the inside job, <laughs> and I'll just relay all this inside information back to the Broncos so that they, the Broncos can finally <laughs> get one up. And But uh, what, once you're there, it felt like family, and you, you couldn't uh, couldn't do that to family. Yeah, yeah, not that I had any connections to, to the Broncos anyway, <laughs> but... Uh... Or the, or that I had much inside information. Yeah. Uh, as you'll you'll learn, I mean, the Ravens guard information. I mean, they're 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 obsessive about it. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I I I became to love it, and I all four of my kids were born in Baltimore. I got married in Baltimore. Very quickly, Baltimore felt like home to me. Uh, I've since moved, but I I definitely miss it. It where I am now, I still don't feel like it's home yet. Baltimore, it became home very quickly for me. Interesting. Do you think if you took, uh, you know, a, a job with a different organization, do you feel like you would become as close of like a fan sort of thing as you did with Baltimore? Or like, what is it about the Ravens that makes it so special that you feel sort of included right away? Uh, I, I, it's hard to answer that because I haven't worked for another, you know, franchise. So I don't know. I mean, but sometimes I, I, you you kind of hear because you go to league meetings or things like that. And um, the Ravens really are, I mean, when people say it's a class act organization, it isn't just for the players. It, it, you feel like it, like I could, you know, for a majority of my career there, I'm in a cube, right? Like where most, most of America, you know, 
works. You're in, you're like in a cube, um, unless you're, you know, big enough to move up to an office or whatever. But even there, like, I just felt like I still remember meeting the president, Dick Cass, for the first time. I call him Mr. Cass. Oh, please call me Dick. I remember the first time passing by Ozzy in the hallway. And I don't know how he knew my name, but I purposely was like, that's the GM. He's this six foot, whatever, three, four, huge dude. He's the GM. I wanted to keep my head down and keep moving. And I hear... Hey Sarah, how are you? And I look up and it's Ozzy, and I'm like, how does he know my name? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or or um, or you know, at the time Brian Billick, I remember my very first day, he came down and introduced himself to four interns, and I was wow. the last to introduce myself, and he's like, you must be my cougar, you know, knowing that I came from BYU, and um, it's it's bananas. I mean, I remember Jonathan Ogden, I'd interview him, he's like, here, I gotta get, I gotta get, you know, on the on the on the bike why don't you come next to me and you can interview me so i'm sitting on a bike next to him pretending to kind of pedal while he's pedaling and i'm getting an interview and um uh, deon sanders was hilarious i remember walking in i was bringing some information into the the weight room uh trainers and coaches and i happened to walk into Dion and a few other players and they're flexing in the mirror and he called me preacher girl long story he he we talked a lot about you know the this you know church things and um, he'd call me, he, I'd walk in there, he's like, preacher girl, does this look like a body of a 38-year-old to you? And I'm like, no, Dion, you you look like you're 28, you know? And they're all like, you know, just, just, it just right away. And I can't tell you, I mean, like I said, I had four babies there. That's four different maternity leaves. Um, they worked around me so much. They let me work from home once I hit a certain, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to leave my kids totally, you know, behind. And so... I had I had to move to England for one of those years, and they still they were like we're going to work around you. Dick Cass was like I like the idea of keeping young mothers here, you know. So they worked around me too, you know what I mean? So this is an NFL franchise that I could have been a million people would have wanted my spot, you know. But when you're in there, they treat you right. It just it it just from beginning to end, I was treated so well from everybody top down, top down. Was was there anybody in the organization, players or uh, like front office staff or whatever, who you kind of I don't I don't know if intimidating is the right word, but you sort of were like almost starstruck by, you know, coming across that. I can only imagine myself walking down a hall and Ozzy Newsome knows my name like I I would probably squeak something out and then just put my head down <laughs> yeah. and keep walking. Like, was there anybody that sort of was larger than life that kind of made you feel that way? Um, I don't know about larger. I mean, again, you were there. I mean, especially when I was working, you're working there, especially as an intern, I was just working so many hours. Um, that, that first, you do feel that way at first, but it quickly goes away. Uh, cause you're around so many NFL athletes, you're around so many big time people and it just becomes that everybody is cool with each other. I will say, I mean, there's some players though, that it's, it's not like you're going to go up and, and sh- some players you can go up and chat and it's cool and whatever. Some you didn't. Ed Reed was like the guy that like, you didn't know who you were going to get one day. He was super nice, super smiling, uh, says hi to you, this and that. And then the next day he's got his hoodie on, you know, he, you like, <laughs> you stay away. (laughs) You know, it's just like, you know, you just, you didn't never know what you were going to get with him. He's the coolest guy in the world, but he wasn't, if he was like, I don't know what mood he was in, but everybody knew it was like, Ed Reed's in that mood. So don't, you know, don't go bother him or whatever. 
Let um, Ray Lewis was very like it's interesting because in, you know it it isn't just in front of the cameras. It is when it's time. Like he has a lot of passion and he and it's like um, and when you see him even off cameras talking to other people, he is passionate. But when he's he's also the rest of the time, very quiet, you know, <laughs> like doesn't always have to be like the center of the te- attention all the time. So, um, yeah, so maybe, and that was maybe a way to like protect himself because everybody wants to talk to him and this and that. And so, um, I-, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't feel like, yeah, I don't feel like uh, intimidated is the right word, but I mean, you try to be respectful, you know, players don't, again, I worked in the media. So if I needed to talk to him, it was always trying to, you know, asking them for something. And so you always want to be respectful, but I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I ever feel felt intimidated. Yeah. That good for you because I, I know like, <laughs> obviously I would, I would feel super intimidated, but I, it, you make sense. Like you, you have a job to do. You're, you're there to do it. And you know, you're probably going to find yourself on the way out. If you, you know, were sort of starstruck too many times in front of, the players yeah. that you needed to get the story from. Yeah. Just try to keep it professional for sure. Definitely. And I was, I was going to kind of chime in with the kind of same sentiment is that, yeah, you know, Steve, you, you would go in there as like, you know, you're looking at it from a fan perspective. Like if I were to meet these people, like I would be like, Oh my God, it's Ray Lewis or it's, it's Ozzy. It's Ed Reed. Like, Holy crap. Right. Whereas like, yeah, Sarah went in, it was, it was, you know, I'm here to, do a job these although these are you know high level athletes um i don't know if again probably not using the right terminology here but um co-workers they're you know they're, they're people that are part of the job they're people that are there they're they're not um you know not not going in into it as that that mindset of like so much i guess i don't want to you know speak for you sarah but it you know from listening to you now that that's what it sounded like anyways yeah, yeah, you definitely, you whatever you do, you do not want to come off like you're a fan, because yeah, you have you have a job to do, and you don't you're there, especially the first year I was in PR, and so PR was there to support them, um, and so you wanted to gain a relationship of trust that you weren't there to like fan out and like you know want an autograph or whatever, like you know what I mean, like it was never it was never like that. You wanted them to feel like they could trust you and that if they needed something, they could come to you and you were there to assist them with their interviews and whatever. That was, again, that was my first year, which was very different from where I moved when I got into digital media and I was more writing and, and, and covering them that, but that first year as a, as a public relations intern, I was there to support them, uh, in, you know, in, especially with their media relationships and, um, all that kind of stuff. So you definitely wanted to come across as a professional, not as a fan. Can I ask you a question about Deion Sanders? Because you, you, you mentioned him there about, you know, walking into the weight room. He's flexing in the mirror. You know, he had a nickname for you. I mean, Dion's got, he's, he's, he's got his persona. He's got, you know, prime time, neon Dion. He's, he's got this, uh, you know, he's very, he's very vocal. He's very out there. Is that Dion? Like, is that him, like, all the time? Yeah, you know how I said with Ray, it was kind of like he's he he gets loud, even not in front of the cameras when he's talking or he's trying to prove a point. But other times he's very laid back and quiet. That was not Dion. <laughs> like Dion, <laughs> Dion was loud all the time, 
and was, you know, was very outgoing and would, and talked and talked to a lot more people would initiate conversations. And like, it really felt like he was always on a reality show. Like he was just always on, always on, always fun, always, you know, happy and all that. It wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't, whereas with Ray or Ed, there was an off button, like Dion didn't have an off button ever, (laughs) you know? So he was, he was fun. I, I mean, you go into the weight room and he's flexing, you know, for everybody to see. You'd kind of assume <laughs> yeah. that maybe that might have something to do with his personality or, you know, his 10,000 nicknames that he has going for him. Right, um, right. No, and he, uh, that's right. And I, I got him more towards obviously the end of his career. I don't know what he was like um, in his prime or whatever. Um so I don't know. I got the impression when he was younger that he was more arrogant. And like by the end, I think he was still loud and confident and all that. But um, but was never I never felt like he was above. He never acted like he was above anybody. Um, I remember we were eating. I can't remember. I was out with the other interns eating at some restaurant near the facility. And he happened to be there. And he like saw us out of the corner of his eye as he was leaving. He came over to talk with us like you know, uh, you know, this future hall of famer, he came over to talk to the interns and say, what's up, you know? So he didn't have to do that when he was out at dinner, you know? So he, he was a really approachable guy. Yeah. That's really interesting that you bring up that, you know, I was thinking in the back of my head, yeah, 38 year old Dion is kind of the star of the attention. I can't imagine what early twenties Dion would have been, but I I, (laughs) I believe I remember a story now. Don't quote me on this, but wasn't there a story about Dion where when he, I mean, draft is coming up in just a couple days here, when he was about to get drafted and the teams would call him, his first question to the team was, where are you picking? And then if they said too far down the line, he said, no, don't worry, I'm not going to be there and would hang up the phone on them. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought of when you said uh, you thought maybe he was a little arrogant. I was like, yeah, they probably just pick up the phone. What do you draft in seven? No, I won't be there at seven. Don't worry. Bye. <laughs> I have never heard that story, but I wouldn't put it past him for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to dig that one up. Um, speaking that of that one, does sound familiar? It, yeah, I, I yeah. think I've heard. I think I've heard that one too. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of draft, Sarah, I I remember actually hearing a story that I was hoping maybe you could tell for our listeners. Um, And it ties into something that you were talking about on how the Ravens are so secretive in their information. And you probably already know where I'm going to go with this one. Um, The last time the Ravens had two first round picks or we had one first round pick and traded back in. Um, Do you want to tell us about the story of when Lamar Jackson got drafted? I heard there was like absolute chaos that like erupted. so this is my last draft with the Ravens before before I left. Um, and it was uh, by far the most memorable. Um, so yeah, like we both said, the Ravens are ridiculously secretive. Um, Eric DaCosta, Joe Ortiz, Ozzy, I mean it's I mean, it's another level. like it's it's like paranoid level. <laughs> like, in my view, it's like, um, do you think they so tell their guys, wives? Yeah, as you guys, I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you think they tell their wives about who they're drafting or is it that top secret? I don't know. <laughs> after the story, after the story, you can make your own judgment. So, okay. um, 
I, I honestly don't know. I, I know that Lacey DeCoste is on, on, on Twitter. So maybe, maybe, you know, Eric wouldn't trust her. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows what he would do? That's, that's a question for Lacey though. That'd be good if you could get her on and ask her that. Okay. Um, I'll pencil that one so, in. So yeah, pencil that one in. So, I mean, like I said, like I, you guys know, I did, I started late for work and, um, I had a lot of leeway with late for work, a lot of leeway, um, which is really unheard of for a, a franchise website, right? I mean, we'd get the NFL because late for work performs so well, it recommended doing stuff like that to other teams when you'd have like league, league meetings. The league meetings aren't just for owners. You like you get together with your cohorts there too. And so I'd get lots of calls from other people, from other teams being like, tell us about late for work. You know, it sounds like it's, it's really does well. And and then, you know, I would tell them about it and they're like, no, we, we wouldn't be able to put that up on our <laughs> website, you know. So I put that up. I say that because I had a lot of leeway with late for work. One thing that the that like the scouts did not want is when there was like a report that they had somebody in for a visit. And I'm like, OK, but you understand that this information is everywhere. Like it wasn't put out by like some small like corner of Twitter, like somebody like Adam Schefter put it out, you know, and they're like, we know, but don't put it on, you know, like that was one of the, very, and like, that's how, it, how paranoid they were. And that's, it's fine. Like, you know, it wasn't visits fans, you know, want to hear about visits, but the reality is, is the Ravens in some way or another talk to all prospects, you know? So, um, but they're paranoid about it. That's, that's kind of the, the point I'm, I'm getting at here. So, they didn't want anybody to know about their interests in, in Lamar Jackson. And some of the links they went to is they purposely didn't even interact with Lamar at the combine. They didn't have like an interview with him. There's like, you do, I don't know how many teams do like, who knows, like 50 interviews while they're there. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of interviews. And, um, but they didn't want them to know that they were interested. And by the way, it was Steve Bashotti who came to them and was like, it's time to move on from, from Joe Flacco. And if we can, this is a good draft to do it. So that was oh, all wow. started by, by Steve Bashotti. So, um, so they didn't do that then about, and this is according to reports. I was just reading about it on the athletic. Um, they snuck Lamar Jackson in to the building for a visit about 10 days before the draft. No way. And, and a reporter, I don't know which reporter, reached out to Eric DaCosta asking about, and Eric replies, I don't know, go ask his agent, knowing that he doesn't have an agent, like his mom is, <laughs> is working as his agent, okay? Which, by the way, I guarantee you, Eric is loving that, in, in the sense that he can keep secrets, loving that he's not having to do it with an agent with Lamar because it's the agents that always leak stuff, like the whole Orlando Brown stuff. Anytime something was was leaked, it was from the agent, right? 99% of the time, it's from the agent. So I can guarantee for a paranoid scouting department, they're happy in this sense that like they don't have to worry about an agent leaking leaking information. So anyway, it's so tight, okay, that the the Ravens, you know, trade back a couple times. They take Hayden Hurst, right? So our PR vice president, um. Kevin Byrne goes into the draft room because it's not I, I've, this is my 13th draft come 2018 with Lamar and pretty much right after they select 
they come in to tell you, hey, Ozzy and Eric's coming down for the press conference, right? So Kevin goes in there saying, hey, are you guys ready to go down? And Ozzy looks to Eric and he says, what do you think? And Eric goes, well, let's let's just wait a little bit this time. So, <laughs> you know, Kevin, like, leaves. And meanwhile, we're downstairs, right? So the facility, the Ravens facility, is basically two floors. And um, we were given, at the time, we wanted to be very close to the auditorium because so, we're trying to pump out content, right? We're trying to pump out whenever we have um, – a, uh, a pick. We're trying to write our stories. We're trying to put up videos. We got to get to the press conference. We want to get the quotes. We're going to then do a conference call with the pick. And like, there's just a million things going on every single time there's a pick. And so what we're trying to get as much done as possible before we're called in for the press conference. And so it's kind of nice. Cause we're like, okay, well we're getting a lot done before the press conference, you know, cause we're getting, we're buying a lot of time. We're not thinking deeply about it. We're just waiting to get called in by the PR staff. Well, meanwhile, what we don't know is up in the draft room, they're, you know, celebrating the Hayden Hurst that, you know, they're call- they've talked to him, you know, the whole classic Ozzy calls them and says you're a Raven and this and that. Um, that's actually before the pick, but they celebrate after. So after that, a big chunk of the coaches and scouts leave the draft room. There's a few people still left in there, but Steve Bashotti kind of like starts engaging with them to talk. Meanwhile, it's just Ozzy and Eric on the other side of the big draft draft room uh, table, right? And they're over there talking, and they give un, like they don't even know inside the room. They give a call to the Eagles GM, and he's like, "They're like, if our guy is there, would you be willing to to to, to trade out?" And he said, "Yeah." And so, but they're waiting to see if he still falls. He still falls. He falls to thirty-two. They make the call. Nobody knows. Not his scouts not the coaches, literally only Eric and Ozzy know. <laughs> That's how much they didn't want this to get out. Now, of course, they talked about if they could build a team around him, all the scouting grades and all that, but, like, nobody knew. They thought it was over. So so I'm, I'm downstairs, and all of a sudden on the TV in front of us, you see the Ravens trade back into the first run at 32. All of us are like, look up for a com- our computer screen. He's trying to like <laughs> pump out all this content. And then Ravens trade back in. And then it, Roger Goodell announces that the Ravens select Lamar Jackson. You guys, I'm not joking. Right up. We were not exactly below the draft room, but very like, you know, diagonal to it underneath a, a, a level B below. A bunch of scouts and coaches had gone to get food, which was located a little <laughs> bit down the hallway. As soon as it is announced on TV, there is a stampede. <laughs> I mean, a stampede of footprint, footsteps running back to the draft room to get back in there. And I'm like, they didn't know. Like, I, it, it dawned on me in the moment that I'm like, these scouts didn't even know. And they go back in there and Eric, uh, you know, in an interview later told Peter King, like, he's like, yeah, we didn't tell anybody. We didn't want to even know. He's like, we kind of felt bad, you know, that the coaches and, and, and scouts didn't know, but we, we wanted to keep it a secret. We did not want it getting out. Nobody knew, nobody knew that's how paranoid they are. And you know what? It, it pays off in the end because if somebody knew that they were going to try to get Lamar or whatever, who knows how that would have tra- tra- changed things. But I will never forget hearing that stampede above my head, just going, <laughs> going that way. And then Lamar's up on the stream and we all fell in love with him right away in his interview with Dion. Speaking of Dion, yeah. uh, love, love Lamar Jackson. So that was, 
my last draft and certainly my most memorable. So do you, like, obviously after the, the story that you tell, you kind of have to make your own guesses. It sounds like nobody knew. And the first thing is you're telling that, the first thing I think of is, did they not even tell John Harbaugh, like, hey, coach of our team, um, we were just <laughs> yeah. wondering, you know, if we got this, like, they must have not even told Harbs. Well, it's interesting because I haven't asked that specific question, but I will say, uh, again, it was just, I don't know if you guys read it, but um, on The Athletic, they revisited, uh, just today, they put out a story, they revisited that draft. And um, it actually, one of the one of the key conversations that started about wanting to get Lamar Jackson was Steve and John Harbaugh. They went out to dinner together. Uh, I can't remember where they were. Maybe it was a night out at the Combine or I can't remember where they were, but they were out of town and they had dinner and they were, and like they talked all night long. And that was first where it kind of came up with Lamar. And then they had meetings with the scouts and coaches and, and, and you gotta, you gotta read that story in the athletic. It was really good today. And and Harbaugh was like, we're tiptoeing around the issue. Can we build a team around <laughs> Lamar Jackson? Because people were kind of like split on, obviously they all believed he was gifted, but he was so different. And if you're going to take that on, and the offense that you have for Joe Flacco, which is completely different <laughs> from Lamar Jackson, you know, he's like, can we build an offense around him? And he was like, we can do this. We can do this. And I think that John helped you know, some people who were on the fence to like really come on board. But I think John, I think Steve, Ozzy, Eric, all like had the vision that most NFL teams didn't have. Certainly a lot of the the pundits and former GMs and all that that didn't have. But, but this is kind of actually what kills me now because Ravens fans are so protective of, of Lamar, and I get it because I'm pretty protect, protective of, of him too, right? That doesn't mean he's – to me, though, that doesn't mean he's beyond criticism. Like, Lamar would be the first to tell you that he can get better, right? But because people love him so much, if they if they hear all this outside criticism, I almost see Ravens fans creating this adversarial relationship between Lamar and the coaches and maybe even the front office because they want a wide receiver so bad, like in everybody's mind that like that's that's what's going to put the Ravens over the top, which I don't buy. I mean, a wide receiver will help, but I think the the, the passing offense issues are deeper than that. But, but they almost create this adversarial re- relationship, like as if John or, or Greg Roman or Eric DeCosta or Ozzy Newsom or Steve Bushotti, um as if they don't trust him enough. Are you kidding me? These are the guys... <laughs> that believed in him the most. They're the ones that John, John's the one who was pounding, you know, the table saying we can build an offense around him. And now everybody, it feels like to me, so that because fans are fighting for Lamar all the time, they get, they're tired of saying, well, he's not just a running back. Like screw all of them. Like, why do you like, he's not just a running back. We all know that those are trolls out there getting under our skin, you know, on purpose. And it's like, yes, he can throw, but his number one asset is, or his unique asset is his running ability. And so you're not going to take, um, 
you know, Aaron Rodgers and trying to make him Lamar Jackson. And I get this feeling, and not all Ravens fans, but some are so gung-ho about proving that he's a passer that they're almost wanting to turn him into an Aaron Rodgers or whatever. And it's like, no, don't for, this is not an adversarial relationship between Lamar and the front office. These guys are partners. These guys have a strong relationship, and I just don't think anybody has a better vision of what they can do, and the Ravens believe they can win a Super Bowl with him. Now, they know they need to improve the passing game 100%, and I think that they're showing that they're, you know, they're trying to do that, and this weekend is the weekend to really take that step. I mean, this is, this is Christmas in Baltimore, not, not free agency. And so I just always go back to that initial story and – Everybody against, it felt like the world was against Lamar, but it was the Ravens. It was John Harbaugh who was pounding the table. It was Eric DaCosta. It was Ozzie. It was these guys. So let's not try to pretend that this is an adversarial relationship. They need to get better, but don't try to turn them against one another just so that we can protect Lamar out against all the trolls out there. Lamar's going to be just, just fine, partly because he's Lamar, but partly because he has a front office that has his back. I got off on a tangent there, guys. That knows. <laughs> Thank you for for that. Like, on, like as a Seahawks fan, it's like, like I, I'm listening to you talk about your team and and how much you you know you love these players and and love this front office and it's just like it's. I mean, I want to go. I'm going to go read that that article on the Athletic now. Um, you know, I'm not yeah. a Ravens fan, and I'm so I'm going to go read that article because after hearing your story, I want to hear, you know, kind of their side of it too. Right. Um, what was the reaction? I mean, you're talking about the, the, the stampede upstairs. What was the reaction from me from what was your reaction and, and everyone else around you? I mean, you're, you're, like you said, you're trying to pump out the content and all of a sudden you get like, I guess a, a curveball thrown at you. Right. Yeah. So we, so I'm in a room with the entire, well, with most of the digital media team, we're kind of split up because you got a video part of the department and this and that, but there's probably about, I don't know, 10 of us in that room. And we all just start laughing. Like, <laughs> you're like, but like you, and it's just like what you're asking, like if I were starstruck, you have a job to do. And in this moment, you not only are now trying to like finish up your Hayden Hurst content, but now you got to like, drop what you were doing with Hayden Hurst and like get out there that the pick has been made for Lamar Jackson. And so like you can't in the moment soak it in. You just got to keep moving. It's like as if you're in a football game. Like you just got to keep moving to the next play and you really don't have – I re- I mean I went home that night at like – I don't know. I, I, I usually don't sleep the first night. Uh, it's the worst night but also the best night. Uh, I usually never went to bed on Thursday nights because I'm up all night – helping putting together the content and editing and coming up with the content plan. And as soon as everybody else gets to go home and we're always picking at the end of the draft, right? So we're like, the, the pick doesn't even come in until like midnight. So we got to get all of our content up. Then once we got everybody's content up that night, I got to start late for work. You know, like I got to start, <laughs> which is the first thing that goes up the next morning. So I almost don't sleep on Thursday night. I don't feel like I really sat back and soaked in what happened that entire weekend until like, I remember sleeping so much like Sunday and just like I always slept so much on Sundays to try to catch up. And I just remember being like waking up Sunday night and then going back into work on Monday morning. Then us talking about it Monday morning being like, that was crazy. You know, that was crazy. But like in the moment you stop and you're like laughing and then you're like, oh, crap, I got to get back to it. So it's you know, it's a job. So you can't like soak it in too much in that moment. As uh, as somebody who 
you know, dealt with that part of it where you had to be the one pumping out the content, you almost, you know, for you kind of don't get to be that fan and enjoy it now that you're kind of a little removed from it. Um, first, do you sleep now on Thursday nights at least? And two, <laughs> yes. is this still like, you know, your kind of like Christmas day kind of thing in the football world, the draft? It is much more fun. It is much. If, if I, if it weren't for social media, I'd probably be in depression <laughs> after having to like <laughs> leave that job behind. I mean, I probably could have, we, we had discussions about me like still writing late for work, uh, out here in Ohio and stuff like that. And I ended up not doing it just cause I was like, this is, um, you know, this is a new season. I had been juggling it for so long and, you know, four kids. And I was like, this is just a time to kind of focus on the kids or whatnot. But then because of that, I can use like a 10th of the time I was using towards the Ravens. And then I just put it into my social media account. And, uh, and so, so because of that, because of social media, because I can still listen to all the press conferences live, cause they do it, they stream it in YouTube and all that. I still feel like in some ways I can, because I was also working from home so often with my kids in a lot of ways, I feel like it, it doesn't feel a lot different other than not going into the building on Mondays or other days that I had to go in to shoot things or, you know, be there for press conferences or, uh, the draft or whatever. So, um, I, this is actually, I'm really happy with where I'm at right now that I can like spend time with my kids, but I didn't have to like completely leave behind the Ravens because of social media. So I feel really lucky because of that, cause I'm, you know, not depressed. I'm still fully a part of it, but it's completely on my terms now. As a, as an outsider, as the, uh, the, the lone Seahawks fan here, <laughs> can I just ask you about late for work? Can you just, I guess for anyone else who's listening, that isn't a Ravens fan, like just give a little more detail into what, that article was. And I, I asked Steve as well, like just maybe it, um, go into the, I guess the, the title of the article as well. Cause I asked Steve, I'm like, why late for work? Like, is it cause people are late for work while they're reading her article? Cause it's that good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So late for work, the way that that came about. So, um, uh, and what year was that? That was 2009. Okay. So in two, okay. So, Again, my first year is in public relations, and I actually ended up in in the sales, the corporate sales for a while, only to keep my foot in the door when my internship had ended, and then I got signed full time, and then I ended up moving to the digital media department. So when I was in digital media, I was mostly on the side of like helping build the website. Uh, I was really into sponsorships, trying to get sponsorships in there, and then. Uh, I became pregnant for the first time. Like I'd gotten married and uh, I started there in 2005, but I had my first baby in 2009. So I'm about four years in and, but I still at this point had not been on the, the news side of it. Um, which is really where my passion is. Like if I were to do college again, I would have either done print journalism or broadcast journalism. Like, I don't know why I didn't do that, but, um, uh, so I am pregnant and I went to my boss and I was like, um, you know, I just really want to prioritize my family. I, I need to walk away. You know, I need to walk away. Well, this is a complete another, another miracle. You guys are the first miracle of how I got in there first place. Um, so I was like, I really just don't want to be in here full time. I love my job, but, but I need to walk away for, for my family. And, um, you know, she's like, okay, well, 2009, if you remember, that is when there was a threat of a player's lockdown. I'm getting to your, I'm getting, I'm giving you the long version to the answer to your question. I'll get, I'm getting to it. 
So um, because there was going to be a lock, there might have been a lockout with the players and there may not have been a season. That's worse than the COVID season, right? Because at least you have the, the TV money. Now there's a chance there's like no money. So the president of the Ravens, Dick Cass, put a hiring freeze on the, on the company. He was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I, we're not going to, we're not going to let go of anybody. We're going to, we're going to sustain that, but you can't, we can't hire anybody else. And so that was when I was quitting. And so my boss had assumed that she would be able to at least replace me. And he said, no, we're not, this is a hiring freeze. If I let you do it, like I'm going to start getting everybody knocking on the door or whatever. So my boss comes and she's bummed. Like, cause at the time we're a department of three people. Okay. I mean, we really built the Ravens website from like a bulletin board into like what it is today. At the time we were three people. Now my boss is still there. She's over, I think there's like more than 20 employees in the department now. I mean, it's, I mean, so as you know, digital has just boomed. So anyway, and I was like, look, I was like, okay, I'll keep working, but I want to mostly do it from home and I want to do it part time. And I was like, will you take that since you can't replace me? She's like, I'll take anything you can give me. So then Dick is like, yeah, that was when he was like, I like the idea of young mothers staying with us. We lose young mothers too often. And he's like, so yes, if it works for you, my, my department, he's like, I'm fine with it. So she's like, well, now we need to figure out though, what are you, what can we give you? Cause I couldn't do what, what in my current role, what can we give you that you can do from home? And I said, well, actually, I was like, I've been really wanting to get into the content side. I really want to start writing about the team. And she's like, again, you're only going to be here once in a while. You're mostly from home. And I was like, well, let me let me think about it and I'll get back to you. And this is where the, the idea of late for work was born. I was like, why don't I uh, go out and curate all the things that are being said about the Ravens in one 24 hour period and I'll put it in. So if you're late for work, I can save your time so you're not going out on the web to, to look for everything that's written about the Ravens. I'll put it in here, but I also put in my reaction to it, right? Some things, you know, I had more of an opinion on than others, but mostly I'm, I'm curating all this stuff and I'm giving my personal reaction to it. So I bring that to her, and it was my husband, by the way, who came up with that name. I, he was like, you should call it late for work because... You know, it's allowing people who are late for work to get to read it quickly. Then some people did interpret it the way you did, that you'd be late for work because you're you're reading because it ended up being a super long, a super long column every day. So so anyway, that's how it was done. It was completely done out of a miracle to me. Like I was going to quit the Ravens, which was going to break my heart, but I wanted to put my family first. And then because of the lockout, which never ended up happening, by the way. So they, they, they had a full season and they end up, ended up being able to hire again, but they still didn't let me go when she was able to hire new people. <laughs> so I, for the rest of those 10 years that I was there, it was mostly working from home, but coming in as needed. So, uh, so that's how it was born. And then from there, I got more into, I became the edit, the editor, um, and then hired more writers. And, you know, I helped hire Ryan and Garrett, who's there now and, and really became the, the. I was doing what Ryan Mink is doing now. Now he kind of like puts together the content for the whole website. That's that's what I did along with with writing this column and then it expanded with my podcast and all those other things. So, but that is how I got into the content side and that's how I came up with Late for Work. It was completely I needed to find something I could write about from home and that was it. I I love hearing about stories like that and if there were if there was any reason why I would become more invested in a team you hear a story about that where you know somebody really values you and you know doesn't want to let you quit and 
um yeah I, I just love hearing about stories like that so yeah thank, and that's why i say people one. people say it all the time that the ravens are a class of you know a first class organization it's not just towards the players it's to nobody's like me you know what i mean so so it's it's definitely it's you know that's that's why you feel like you become family so quickly yeah i, I think a lot of you know casual uh, i'll call myself a casual fan here compared to you um I, I think that's the part we kind of forget about when we hear things like, oh, they're a class organization. You're like, oh, OK, well, you know, they must, you know, wine and dine their players when they come in for visits and like negotiate contracts really well with them. But then you fi- you forget about those sort of behind the scenes things like you're talking about. And it, it mm-hmm. goes beyond the, you know, the superstar players. It's everybody in the organization. That's, that's totally, that's totally, it. it's those small moments. Like the, the players, they'll say all the time, like, this is why you can get veterans to come sign here, minus wide receivers, apparently. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, Harbaugh's like that. Like he institutes family days to where the players get to bring in their kids and they get to bring in their, their wives or their significant others and things like that. And so it is, it's those small things. And like, you know, John Harbaugh will come up to you and he can talk to anybody. He can talk to anybody about anything. It's so personal. It's, it's uh, it's what they did with Orlando Brown, right? Like it, it like so. Like I, you know, I had lots of people today on Twitter being so angry with Orlando and like, sorry, but I hope he fails and this and that. And it's like, but the Ravens aren't like that. The Ravens aren't like now. The Ravens were smart enough and they were good enough to get, you know, good value out of it. And I don't think they hurt themselves by trading him. Um, uh, but but like, it's just. It's partnerships. That really is what Steve Bashotti preaches. It's partnerships. He wants to be partners with people. And I think that you saw, t- I don't know if you guys saw Marlon, uh, Marlon Brown, a wide receiver, remember the snowball and he, you know, had a big game in there, but he was a wide receiver that most people don't even remember outside of that snowball. He was like, I swear Ozzy and Harbs are the best. Like it's, it's more than just, yeah, negotiating a contract. They, they, I don't know. They just know how to treat people. Right. Yeah. I actually did see that Marlon Brown one. I- I think he posted something yesterday about it, thanking the Ravens organization, mm-hmm. saying, you know, they'll be family for life. And it's really interesting that you bring up the Orlando Brown thing, because that's kind of where I wanted to go next with it. Um, Chris was actually, I was, uh, I was hard at work, if my bosses are listening to this. And Chris <laughs> actually broke the trade to me about Orlando Brown. And, um, yeah, I, I know we we kind of had a little Twitter exchange there, uh, but just for our listeners, what was kind of your instant reaction to it? I, I know some of the comments, you know, uh, over the the blowing hot air tweet kind of took <laughs> off a little bit, which I thought was absolutely great. Um, you know, that, that was my reaction to you that you said you would come on the podcast for. It was like a little bit of like cheeky underhandedness with, a like healthy dose of reality check for these people who are losing their minds for whatever reason. So like, did you have an instant reaction to the trade? Uh, my instant reaction, every time there's news, I want to quickly get to it and, and put out a reaction. And so, um, I think that this, I think in terms of like, it's a massive move. That was my first reaction. This is a massive move because it's a probable tackle it's to Kansas City, who is in the Ravens' way of getting to the Super Bowl. Um, 
So that was my initial one, but I held off on on deciding. I wanted to research more, so my first tweet was more like, this is a massive move, because it is, and it's too... People get so testy about the word rival. Like, (laughs) I mean, the Steelers are a true rival or whatever, but in my mind, it's also a a rival is like somebody who's in your way, but whatever. the, The Kansas City Chiefs are the biggest obstacle, so... Those are the two things that stuck out to me. Holy crap, it went to Kansas City, um, and this is just a massive move. But then I wanted to wait to see and calculate what the exact value was because there's, so there's so many picks, right, that's being exchanged. Mm-hmm. So I took a moment, and I went to the JJ value chart, which, by the way, in Peter King uh, today, he wrote about the trade. Uh, what The way it went down is KC finally you know, to, came in kind of like last minute um, about a week before the draft. Jeff Rebeck said he asked a couple days before and he, somebody from the front office told him crickets. So, I mean, it looked as if we were about to go into the draft with Orlando Brown still on the roster, right? So they come in. What it sounded like is the Chiefs wanted to give up a low second round and the Ravens wanted to, give, wanted to get a low first round. And so from the Ravens' perspective, hey, this is a Pro Bowl tackle, and from the Chiefs' perspective, it's like, true, but he's got one year left mm-hmm. on his rookie deal at $3 million. And then if either we're going to have to sign him or if we tag him, he's going to go all the way up to $14 million. And so they split the difference. And how do they split the difference? They went to the JJ trade value chart, which <laughs> a lot of people were like, well, that's old. Nobody uses that anymore. Well, turns out they do. Now, there are lots of other <laughs> charts, and both KC and Baltimore looked at other charts, but they felt like JJ came in where they both agreed to what the value was and they purposely were trying to split the difference at a second, a mid second round. And that's how, and that's exactly what it came to. If you use the JJ trade value chart, it comes out to be about a number, number 44. However, in the Ravens view, getting number 31, they view it more like pick number 20 or 22. Why? Because they're always, almost always picking at the end of the draft and they always have higher rated (laughs) players falling to them, whether it's because there's a run on quarterbacks, wide receivers are definitely overdrafted in the first round, whatever there is, there's always runs on a certain position. So the Ravens frequently get somebody they have rated higher, maybe 10 spots higher fall to them to where they're at. So anyway, once I looked into it, I had been on record uh, before the trade is I always said, cause everybody's like, is the trade going to happen? Is the trade going to happen? You know, Orlando said this, now it's definitely not going to happen. Or he said that, now it definitely is going to happen. I was like, no, look, this is all that it is. The Ravens have a threshold. If nobody meets the threshold, he will not be traded, and they will keep him for this year. If somebody meets the threshold, they will trade him. And so I said, I don't know what the threshold is, but for me, I would want number 32 value, so very low-end first round, which it sounds like that's what Eric wanted also. So it wasn't quite as much as I wanted. However, the Ravens still got their first-round pick. They were very smart in the way that, sure, it ended up being that mid-second round value, but they got their their first-round pick, plus an extra third, plus an extra fourth, plus an extra fifth. The next year, the fifth year is almost, you know, worth very little. But So to me, in my view, if you're talking specifically about value, which is all we can judge right now, it was a tie. Both sides got basically what they wanted. Like it was very fa- so you can declare a winner of a trade because that's usually what happens is you want to declare a winner. You can do that if somebody gets fleeced, right? So when the Ravens get Marcus Peters for a fifth round draft pick, <laughs> Ravens win, okay? Ravens get 
Calais Campbell for a fifth round draft pick. Ravens win. Ravens get a fifth round draft pick when they tried to uh, trade Kyle Vedvik or well, I'm forgetting his name now, the kicker to Minnesota. Gary. Boom, Ravens win. But when you are judging by value, to me as I look at it, I wish the Ravens could have gotten a little bit more, but there was crickets. Nobody was coming. They, they And that's not to say that they settled. I don't know that they did because they still got their first rounder. And so, and so to me, the reason so the tweet you're referring to is that if anybody's declaring that somebody won, you're full of hot air because the <laughs> value-wise, it's a tie. So if you want to declare a winner, what's going to happen is now you have to wait to see what does Eric DaCosta do with his new first rounder, new third rounder, new fourth rounder, and the next year's fifth. That will determine who is a winner. Anybody else declaring a winner is full of hot air. It's a tie value-wise, 100%. Now, for the Ravens, here's the genius of it, okay? Eric DaCosta, and this is, oh, I love people who are solution-oriented. I love it, okay? <laughs> who cares? There's no reason to be bitter about stuff. You, you take the hand that's dealt with you, and you play the best that you can, and that's what the Ravens do. So they weren't counting on their Pro Bowl right tackle they weren't counting on him suddenly asking for a trade as soon as the season's over. That wasn't in the cards, right? They're thinking of other things that they want to upgrade. They already want to upgrade the offensive line, and now their Pro Bowl tackle wants to trade. And by the way, they have a phenomenal relationship. They already have good relationships, but Orlando Brown's another level given his relationship with his dad, okay? And I'm talking both ways. Again, this is not an adversarial relationship. And so they're dealt this hand that now I've got one of my best players demanding a trade. So what are we going to do with this? If, uh, if Eric DaCosta, this is the goal, right? This is up to Eric now. If Eric DaCosta uses these extra picks and drafts this weekend the next right tackle of the future, <laughs> and let's not forget that Orlando Brown was a third rounder, okay? Say like he gets Jenkins with number 27. You just turned a third round draft pick into a two-time pro bowler and then into another right starting right tackle for the next five years that's how that's how organizations do it i'm getting fans all the time win now mode but it's win now mode for the fans all the time all the time <laughs> i agree in this and right now it's it's more true because this is lamar's last cheap year but i mean if eric DaCosta and ozzy newsom were always thinking like that we'd have nothing we have nothing. No, this is what smart organizations do. They don't get scared off from a guy because of his combine. They don't get scared off. The rest of the league is. So they get a guy, a Pro Bowl tackle in the third round, potentially turn it into another rookie deal for the next five years, which you need anyway with Lamar about to get his big contract. If Eric DaCosta can pull that off and get somebody like Jenkins or Leatherwood or whoever, then he's a genius. Then he's a genius. That's when we will know who won the trade. But as of right now, value-wise, it's a complete tie Hold off on declaring a winner, but I have trust that Eric will get the next tackle. I really do. I think he's going to get it this weekend. And thank you for, uh, I guess, going into detail there about using the the JJ trade chart and saying that really what it came down to was that Ravens second round pick. Because I know um, I, I saw it on Twitter. I was talking with my dad about it. I was talking with Steve about it. And and we are all kind of trying to wrap our heads around, like, why did the Ravens send that second round draft pick back? Um, so it, it is good to know that, you know, that is what evened out or balanced out the the, the whole trade and, and really what the trade, I guess, kind of hint was that was the, the last piece to make it happen. 
Yep, yep. Uh, with the value of the trade, the Ravens getting the 31st overall pick. Um, you had mentioned that's a good spot because inevitably, you know, a run on quarterbacks comes and the Ravens don't need a quarterback. Or like we kind of know, Eric and Ozzy like to trade back. Um, do you think it's m- more likely that they trade back and maybe even recoup even more picks for a team looking to jump into the first round like they did with Lamar? Or, you know, go back-to-back first round? Yeah, I definitely... Um, Eric DaCosta, first of all, loves to move around. So if I could see a lot of different scenarios. I could see if somebody that they love kind of drops, that they could even move up a modest, like, four or five spots by using one of their extra third-rounders to move up in the first to make sure they get their guy uh, that, that maybe could be dropping um, and if they do that, then I could even see more of a chance of them moving 31st back into the second because then they could recoup the third again. And then they're still in a good spot in that early early to mid-second round where there's still going to be a lot, of, a lot of value and a lot of good players there. So um, I could see that. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of where I'm at. I kind of would prefer them. I, I have never minded them trading back within the first round. I don't like the idea of moving completely out of the first round because I like that fifth year that first rounders bring. So, and again, with how expensive Lamar's about to become, um, I like the idea of two first rounders that have five years on a rookie contract is really, really um, enticing. So if you wanted to get back in the second round, I don't know. I, I you were saying that like you at first, you know, but you're you're a little bit more mature now. But like, but even at first, you were kind of like, um, I hate missing the two. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like that's the wrong way to look at it. Like, I mean, I get it that they like the Ravens gave the two, but it's like it's. I just feel like it's the wrong way of looking at it. They moved up from two to thirty-one. That's what they did. That's what mm-hmm. they did. Like. They moved from 58 where they were all the way up to 31, plus got a third, fourth, and a fifth. So I just feel like it's the wrong way of looking at it that they lost a two. No, they didn't. They moved up. Like 31 is better than 58. And it feels like if the Ravens had moved from like 58 to 33 and they'd still have a two, would you feel better? Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point there. And I would say that's kind of like where my maturity, you know, if you want to call me mature, probably not. But um, that's where it's kind of evolved where, you know, and you can still have that instant reaction where, you know, my gut thing was, darn, like we we had to give up a two also to get that. Um, But that's another reason why I kind of stay off of social media in my initial reactions, because the more I think about it, I think to all of those drafts that we've had two first round picks and yeah, we've had two thirds. Well, we could technically, if we're that good of drafters, we could replace Orlando Brown with another third, correct? Which we have two of, which we have two fourths, which we have two fifths. Right, right, exactly. And if they wanted to, I mean, they could maybe package some of those together to try to get back into the second round without having to trade back, you know, into there. I, I really, I was going to do it before we, I got on. Cause I wanted to look into that scenario. I wanted to look at the JJ chart and see, is there a way without trading back into the second, what would it take to get into the second? Um, 
So I don't. I I didn't get a chance to do that. It's my 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 daughter turned four today. It's, we've been celebrating all day. Um, but but yeah, I want to actually look into that to see if there's a way to get back in a second. But but yeah, and and that's the thing is like, I think that is a mature thing to do to sit and wait for a minute because that is what I I like to do like two things because I like to have initial reaction on Twitter because that's but I don't but you can have initial reaction without declaring the whole thing good or bad. Do you know what I mean? Like you can hold off on that. I declared it big mm-hmm. from the, and it was from the, from the, from the very first moment, but I needed to like sit down and, and do all the math before I could declare whether it was fully good or fully bad. And so, um, and, and that's the thing is like, uh, you just, I, I don't, people can disagree with Eric and, and Ozzy and all of them. I think that's totally fine. Like, in fact, you should, and you should push them and that's, that's good. But like, I just, it's, it's just, it's just annoying is what it is when people completely act as if they're idiots. Do you know what I mean? Like, why would they give a number two and Orlando? No, 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 no. That's not how it is. They moved from two to first round. That's what they did. And so, and so like give these guys who, by the way, on most studies are the best drafters of the last 10 years in terms of value, okay? Give them a benefit of a doubt for a minute, you know, and try to think through what they did. And if you if you still have a substantial reason to disagree, disagree. Like, I'm here for that all day long. But if you just come on and you're like, oh, that was a terrible move. They're a bunch of idiots, da da da, da. And I'm like, you've already lost me. You've already lost credibility. You, you have hot hair, hot air. It's a bunch of hot air. You, you like, you're not even thinking into it it's more emotional you wanted you wanted a first rounder without giving up giving up a second but like think through it they didn't give up a second they moved from two to one so yeah, that is literally what is what happened they didn't give up a second they moved from two to one yeah it's interesting that you bring that up because uh one of my rules as a fan is i always assume that people in the front office like scouts gms things like that know infinitely more than i will ever know as a fan so like i I don't know i don't know if i've ever really gone that crazy on saying like oh eric DaCosta, what does he know well he knows a lot more than i do like he was he's been doing this almost as long as i've been alive first of all and the second part is i i think as as ravens fans we sometimes get so unbelievably spoiled. And I know I've seen this on Twitter before, people saying, oh, you can't say you're a spoiled fan. I actually can say I'm a spoiled fan because this is a franchise that is run unbelievably. We are always contenders. We have two Super Bowls. Um, And you could also be like, let's take the Seahawks. So we got a Seahawks fan here. Take the Seahawks, for example. They have three picks in the entire draft. There, there's a scenario <laughs> in where we have nine picks, two in the first round, and people are still finding a way to complain or like blow the hot air when the guy was going anyways, right? Like he, right. he was gone. And I've been saying this, this will be like my one claim to fame here is throughout this whole thing when we realized when he threw out the I am a left tackle tweet, I was like, okay, we're losing him. So... Let's either keep him for this year and go on a deep run. If you don't get value for him, that's all I want from him. Right. And, and to be frank, and this is not to like, you know, say that Orlando Brown was wrong. I mean, he's got to do what he's got to do for him. Um, And I have no problem with him wanting to become a left tackle. And whether that is for financial reasons or because of a, 
for his father or both. Like, I don't care. It's not me. It's him. So he's got to do what he's, he's got to do. So I don't hold, I don't have any ill will towards him. Having said that he did put the Ravens in a really tough situation because as soon as you've announced to the whole NFL that you want to be traded, you are hurting the Ravens leverage. Like that just hurts their leverage to get a great deal. You know what I mean? And so, whereas like, how can the Ravens play hardball and be like, Oh, that's not enough value. I'm just going to walk. You're not going to walk. You know what a GM could be thinking? Like he clearly wants out of there. You don't want to have like, you know, a guy who's like sour grapes for the whole year. So like they can call your bluff better, you know? So he put them in a really tough situation and Eric still came out with fair value. He didn't fleece the chiefs. He didn't get fleeced, but he came out with fair value. And I'm really impressed personally that he was able to do that in those tough circumstances. And, and I will say one other thing. I will say one other thing for those who are so mad about the Orlando Brown trade. Sorry. This is great. Um, I've had people come at me saying, oh, Eric better watch himself. If he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't do well, like Steve's not going to put up with this. And to a certain degree, that's true. Like Steve Bashotti can make the calculated decisions. But let's just remember that Steve Bashotti for years paid Eric DaCosta GM money while Ozzie Newsom was his GM. He kept doing everything he could do. And how many times did other teams come after Eric DaCosta? I mean, it's countless. Every, Every single offseason, people will be like, well, the Chicago Bears, they're, they're targeting Eric DaCosta or, you know, whatever other team. And it's like Steve Bashotti loves this guy so much that he has had a plan for more than five years to eventually make him his GM. And he, had, he was paying GM money to two different guys. So I highly doubt that when a tackle bl- put on blast to the entire NFL that he wanted to be traded, that, like, Steve is, like, somehow fuming and ready to fire Eric. No, I think he very much sees what's going on and is just as impressed with Eric as I am with, wh- with how much value he got in that tough situation. Yeah, um, it, it's kind of interesting because it is a tough situation, and um, I think most of the people that you know, are overreacting to it are probably thinking about the value that um, Tunsil went for, because obviously, you know, they're going to be linked in terms of, okay, that's what a tackle gets me. Um, I thought it was really interesting that that sort of argument had been surfaced a whole bunch of times because I was like, these are not the same situations. Like not, they are not even remotely close to the same situations. And like, I will call one GM out for like his lack of, I guess, competence, if you want to call it that. Like Bill O'Brien is not in the league anymore to fleece (laughs) somebody like that. Like if there was anybody that you could go to in the league to get like a fleecing, you're like, let's call Bill O'Brien. Let's Let's call Bill. Good old Bill. You know what? He might even call me. He he's that good at his job that he might call me and start offering like you know his the name to his next unborn grandchild or something like that. Right. Bill O'Brien in many ways, um, I feel like just drove the Texans into the ground. <laughs> like he had so much <laughs> going for him with Deshaun Watson and uh, JJ Watt and like such a great team and like uh, what? Why? Yeah. And so if you're standard and this is even before Orlando Brown was traded, like it never 
once was in my mind that the Ravens were going to get that value. Never once, because Bill O'Brien isn't around anymore. Bill O'Brien traded away Hopkins. Like, I mean, for, for like pennies, for pennies. And your expectation is for Eric DaCosta to like get a Bill O'Brien deal. Like if that's your expectation, I don't want to tell you, you're just, it's not reality. It's not reality. There's a reason why he's not the GM anymore. So that was never in my mind. That definitely skewed things when saying like, I'd put out there that I was like, yeah, I'd like them to get, you know, low first round pick. They're like first round. I want two first down first rounds. And I'm like, we're already like, Eric could get like a mid first round and people would be ticked off. Like he was already for some fans, not that was more minority really thinking he'd get two, but yeah, that was that was that was crazy unrealistic for sure. I'll just ask one more thing about this, um, and then Chris has something he wants to to run by you. Um, do you also think that fans expect Eric DaCosta to fleece everybody? Because there there have been trades where, you know, we brought it up with Vedvik, um, how you who has ever traded a punter who has done nothing <laughs> in the league for I think it was like a third and a fifth round pick, like. Are, are they comparing those a little bit, do you think, in some ways? I definitely think that it's gotten to the point where, or it feels like it's gotten to the point where if he doesn't commit robbery, then somehow he lost the trade. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I think it's kind of like he's a, um, a, a, a like a prisoner of his own high expectations, or I don't know if that's the right, the right phrase, or... He's, he's just, he's, he set such a high standard starting with Joe Flacco right away. And then, you know, with Marcus Peters and all the others that it just became like all these memes of him, you know, of people (laughs) getting robbed, you know? So, so yeah, I do feel like if, if he doesn't rob somebody, then somehow people feel like, uh, it's not good enough. It's not good enough, but that's not going to happen every time. It was a fair trade. That's it. Would we have all liked more? Sure. Definitely. Sure. Would we have all liked that it not gone to Kansas City? Sure. Definitely. <laughs> um, but but that doesn't mean he didn't do his job or he didn't do it well. I think that also comes down to too many people playing fantasy football or playing Madden and, and wanting to come out as the clear cut winner of a trade where they got somebody to over overpay or overvalue someone that um, you know, was likely not going to be there anymore anyways. Um, Steve mentioned, I, I wanted to ask you something there. You, you, you had mentioned a few times now about, you know, this is Lamar's last last season being, um, a, you know, a cheap quarterback because he's last year of his rookie deal. Did you, I don't know if you saw the Bucky Brooks video where Bucky said something along the lines about the Ravens want to run this team like a, like a college team uh, they should now take these two first round draft picks, move up in the draft to draft somebody like Justin Fields and uh, and let Lamar walk instead of paying him. Um, Steve and I talked about it last night briefly. And even as a Ravens fan, like uh, Steve can vouch for this. Like I got I got he I got fired up about it because I'm like, this is just this is just insane. Like, I mean, I've been hearing about this for years with, you know, Pete Carroll came from USC. He wants to run the Seahawks like a, like a college team. And I mean, he's never, he's never proven that he's never done that at, at the NFL level. So I just want to get what, uh, what your reaction was when you saw that, uh, that Bucky right. Brooks video. Yeah. Well, I wasn't fuming as much as everybody else. And it has <laughs> little for me, it has little to do with Lamar Jackson. I have been 
And many Ravens fans have been scarred from the Joe Flacco getting paid years. Okay. And when I say scarred, this is again, we're, we're back to being spoiled, right? Because the Ravens, I don't think other than when, when Joe ripped his ACL and, and MCL and maybe PC. I mean, he ripped a lot in there. I think outside of that, the Ravens haven't had a losing season since Joe Flacco yeah. became the quarterback. And then we transitioned to Lamar, but during that time, so when I say scarred, I'm putting that in perspective, but you, we, I still feel scarred from that because you always felt like the Ravens had no money, right? Some fans still feel that way, but at least it spread out more. I mean, you just signed Ronnie, you signed uh, Humphrey, you're about to sign Andrews, you signed, you're going to sign Lamar. And so there's only so many mega deals that you can do, but, but it just felt like all that money went to Joe and it just felt like you, I, sometimes I just felt so suffocated. And so the reason why I'm not, you know, offended by it, like so many people is because I would like to see at some point the, to, to like manage the quarterback market. Yeah. Like, because unless you have Tom Brady, um, I just don't see how anybody is winning consistently with a quarterback, not on his rookie deal. Uh, again, the Seahawks, the Seahawks, have they won since, Right. So same thing, right? Yeah. Not not since Russell Wilson has has gotten off his rookie deal. Like there's Patrick Mahomes won on his rookie deal. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe he maybe he can transcend it like 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 uh, Tom Brady did. But Tom Brady did give discounts too. It helps that you have lots of money in other other areas. But <laughs> but um but still, point being, Tom Brady is really the only exception to the rule. And so I definitely have a huge desire for somebody to start breaking the cycle. And again, I'm all for all players like making as much money as they can. So it's not about that, but I'm looking at it from a cat perspective. What can we do to like contain this? I mean, a half a billion dollars from a homes. <laughs> and so like, like it just every single time, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you want to be kept, you have to now be the next highest paid quarterback. And, and it's bananas. So there is a part of me that's like, Who's going to break this trend? And this has, and I'm saying this outside of Lamar. If there is a team that would do it, that has enough internal self-confidence, that had, that could put together a strategy, that could put together a plan to be like, we're going to find a way to not be so dependent that we have to spend $40 million a year. Like the Cowboys didn't want to do it with Dak, but they ended up having to. And everybody's saying it's because this is a quarterback league. You're either, a, and I've, I remember interviewing Steve Bishotti. He's like, you're either a team that has a quarterback or doesn't have a quarterback. And if you don't have one, you're done. You're done. So I understand that reality. But at some point, how can we get this under control? I mean, you got, you can only give so much of a percentage of your cap to one person. So for that reason, I'm like, oh, okay, Bucky. Okay. Like, I hear you. However, now I got to put Lamar into the equation. Lamar was MVP <laughs> in 2019. So, yes, I would like to break this trend. Lamar's not the guy to do it with, in my view. He's, 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 he's MVP. He's, he's the straw that stirs this drink. He's everything. So, so anyway, so that's why I wasn't, that's why I wasn't uh, um, offended by it, because I like the I- idea to take Lamar out of it. But um, I don't know. But it is also crazy. And, again, this is taking Lamar out of it. How often do the Ravens have two first-round picks? <laughs> and if this is a quarterback-driven league, and 
you, unless you have Tom Brady, you're usually only winning Super Bowls with a rookie quarterback. Again, this is not a slight against Lamar. It's more the history of the NFL. If Tom Brady's really the only one that is the exception and he's the GOAT, then does it make sense that, oh my gosh, you have two first-round picks? And so instead of spending $40 million a year, we tried on a quarterback that, you know, we th- if it's a quarterback you like, like it's not crazy to think that way. But I can see why fans are taking it as a slight against Lamar. To me, it's more about the formula that a tradition worked to win the Super Bowl. And Lamar is an MVP quarterback, and I think he's capable of winning the Super Bowl. The question is, is, is he going to be transcendent like Tom Brady and win Super Bowls on a veteran contract? That's that's the bigger question. And so, um, I don't know. I love Lamar, but nobody else has done it but Tom Brady. So, maybe he can. Uh, but this is... this is The Ravens wouldn't, wouldn't have this opportunity. Most times, to get up that high to get a, a franchise quarterback, you have to have a losing season. So... Yeah. I don't know. So anyway, that's why I wasn't offended. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It, it, it's a really I, I definitely understand that point as well. Because I mean, you look at the Arizona Cardinals load up that roster and trying to get that that team uh, in a position to win a Super Bowl while Kyler is still on his his rookie contract. So I I, I definitely understand that that point uh, of it as well. I know Steve and I talked about it a couple weeks ago about you know every time a guy signs a new contract, whether it be quarterback or any other position. Now the next guy says, that's my floor. I have to beat that contract. Right. So, and Mm -hmm. and Lamar's in that, in that position now of, okay, well, this is what Dak got. So that's my floor. And I want to be somewhere between him and Mahomes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. I know it's getting a little late for you here, Sarah. If you've uh, if you've got a couple minutes for us, we do a little segment here called the third down, and okay. uh, I'll, I'll kind of let Chris do a little rundown of it. We're we're kind of going to put you on the spot a little bit here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it yeah it's it's the third down is just it, it's a fun little segment that we've done. This is uh, you know we were talking earlier about how Steve doesn't watch football movies. Um, the third down segment is what revealed uh, that Steve doesn't watch football movies, and we were very thankful to have a guest that week. Um, so basically, I just I choose a topic, I put together a couple head to head matchups, and I ask you from those matchups which one's your favorite, which one are you picking. And uh, this week we're going with Baltimore Ravens first round draft picks. Okay. So we've got we've got a couple Ravens, uh, you know, through their history, first round draft picks, and some some we've got some of the guys going up in head to head matchups. And you don't have to. I mean, you don't have to explain why they're why it's your choice. We would love to hear why it is your choice. Um, but we, yeah, it's a couple tough ones, I think for you as well here. So are are you guys ready? Third down. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. You you should probably start off that I'm 0 for 2 in Chris Awards, a winner at the end of it. And I'm looking for my first win here, Sarah. That's right. I I, I forgot to mention, um, (laughs) afterwards I will ask you to re or I will recap your team and ask you to pick your, uh, your, your so-called MVP. So, um, first matchup, we're going all the way back to the first, 
draft in franchise history. How can you not the two first round draft picks of Jonathan Ogden versus Ray Lewis? Uh, Sarah, you're our guest. We always go to our guest first. Uh, who, who are you picking in this first matchup? Ray Lewis. Wow. Wow, with conviction. I'm I gotta be honest, I'm a little nervous after that. Like I was listening to it and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is a classic, you know, which is your favorite child kind of question, and you just you ran with it. That was I love it. Well, I mean, we're just doing uh, just to make sure I'm doing this right. <laughs> I'm picking the guy who I, like if I could only choose one in a draft that I could only pick between those two, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm taking Ray. I just think that, uh, I mean, and I love Jonathan Ogden. Obviously, he's a Hall of Fame left tackle. I just feel like you can build a franchise around Ray Lewis, and they did, and he lasted longer, and he brought personality. He brought he brought everything. He was he was everything. So yeah, Ray Lewis. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I was just shocked. He just shot it right out of the gun. I mean, I guess I should have been surprised. You've got the the awesome picture of Ray behind there. Um, uh, this one's a hard one for me. Like you hear all those Aussie interviews and he said like how much flack he took for, you know, picking a left tackle over, I think it was like a running back or something like that. And, um, Lawrence, yeah, Lawrence, um, I, for just nostalgic reasons, I think I would also have to pick Ray Lewis, but I think that's like kind of picking between my two kids. Hmm. I guess I'm just cold-hearted that way. <laughs> I like it. You're just like right to the point, like cutting other guys. That's awesome. Next matchup. Sarah, which one is of your four kids is your favorite? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pick the birthday girl. Not that cold-hearted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, second matchup. Uh, we've got a couple of the kind of earlier year favorites. Um, so Peter Bulware versus Jamal Lewis. Do you get to go first this time? Since no, I first. Oh, guest, we, we guest do, always goes we first. We could do a snake draft if you wanted to. I'll, uh, Peter, oh, yo, Peter okay. Bulware. Oh, oh, sorry. Were you no, going? no, 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 no. You go ahead. It, okay. Guest always Peter, first. Peter, Bul- Peter Bulware. It's my uh, segment, Steve. I make the rules. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with Jamal Lewis here. Like, he's one of only a handful of running backs to hit that big, like, all elusive 2K marker. I think I'm I'm um, jaded because I'm in an era where running backs are devalued, and I feel mm. like you could plug in a lot of different guys to do that job. So Peter Bulware seems like a harder guy to find. Uh, yeah, good call. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Bulware was a linebacker. So now Sarah's got Ray and Bulware, and nobody's getting past those guys. I'm rebuilding that nasty defense, the 2000 <laughs> yeah. defense. Let's do yeah. this. <laughs> Uh, third matchup, uh, we've got a couple guys who are, you know, arguably Mount Rushmore type players for the Ravens, uh, Ed Reed and Terrell Suggs. Mm, uh, this Sarah, one's, this Sarah, one's it's yours. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> yeah. This is the first one that I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to take Ed Reed. Yeah, it it's really interesting. Um, that oh, this is one of those ones where I just like 
I I choose death instead. Maybe like can can, can I pick both? Like Suggs is just that. He's just the guy you want on every single team for personality, for culture setting, for what he did. Um, but Ed is my favorite Raven of all time. And if there was one guy in the entire league, not even Ravens, I have to pick Ed. Great, great choices. A um, couple more matchups here. Uh, this is the only matchup with, uh, I think, two guys that are currently still on the team. Uh, so Marlon Humphrey versus Jimmy Smith. Marlon Humphrey. He's more durable. I love Jimmy, by the way. I love Jimmy. I love. I feel like I defend him <laughs> like no other on Twitter. Right out there with Lamar. Love him. But Marlon Humphrey. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my first wild card here, and this one's tough for me because I uh, I took Bama as kind of my college team when I first started watching college football. So I feel like I almost have to pick Marlo, but I'm giving this one to Jimmy Smith because he's one of what three guys who are still on the team from that all elusive last Super Bowl, and he made the fun well made the final play he got pushed down by Crabtree but he he's on the picture of the last time we we hoisted it so I'm gonna go with Jimmy Smith on this one and and Marlo never replies to my tweets so uh, I'm not giving him any sort of publicity does Jimmy reply to your tweets (laughs) yeah that's probably a really good point Sarah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah thank you I was just I was just about to ask the same question so uh, last matchup here, and I mean, how can we do a uh, you know Ravens first round picks without including this final matchup? Uh, Joe Flacco versus Lamar Jackson, of course. I've, I've been thinking about this one because I knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I want to revisit the criteria. more for the franchise or are we like which picking one you, somebody for your team right now which one are you taking which one is your guy we kind of keep okay. the criteria very first loose. of all none of these have been very hard this is definitely the hardest i'd say the ed reed subs one was kind of hard but then okay i got to ed pretty quickly oh i don't know my heart is <laughs> this is the problem with this one is my heart is connected to both um Okay, Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. Mile high, oh my gosh, mile high miracle. Oh, he outplayed Brady and Manning and Cap. Okay. Um, oh, I hate my life right now. Um, We're never going to get a guest back on if we like leave them uh, in stressed shambles at the very end of it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take... Oh, I can't believe I'm going to do this. Um... I'm gonna take Lamar Jackson. Maybe there's a little bit of recent. Maybe there's a little bit of recency bias, but he's MVP. I believe he can win a Super Bowl. Joe did it, but I think Lamar can. And I think we saw that that Joe couldn't carry the whole team, and I think that Lamar can. So I'm going with Lamar. Oh, but thank you for the Super Bowl, Joe. <laughs> when Joe Flacco listens to this, which he he's a frequent listener of this, we know. Uh, at least you got that in. This one, yeah. I mean, if 
you're looking over my shoulder here. I've got the Flacco on one side. I've got the Lamar. I oh, feel yeah. like I'm being judged from behind me, like which <laughs> way are you going kind of thing. And I was thinking about that too. Who, who do I believe the better player is? Even though maybe he doesn't have the Super Bowl, I do think Lamar is the better player. He doesn't need the team as much around him as Joe did. But mm-hmm. every time I think about like the players I love, I can just see Flacco chuck in that mile high miracle and yep. like press conferences where he's like biting off the W. Like <laughs> he, he was so hated him. for being like boring average Joe, but I just love his like just monotone sarcasm humor yep. was so funny. I'm picking Joe. Like that's the that's the other thing is like you can't even decide based off of like who's more lovable. Yeah. Because they're both so lovable in complete for completely different reasons. But like, and that's why I was saying like my heart was connected. They're both such lovable and likable guys. Oh. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. No, that that was exactly what I was going through. Like, just they're just both such good human beings. It seems like maybe for different reasons, but. They're just great. Yep. All right, Chris, what do we have? Oh, who's here? your pick? Yeah, who was your pick? Oh, I, I said I picked Joe. I'm going with Joe. Oh, you did pick Joe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I thought I, I we both were kind of left on the hook there. Oh, okay. Waiting, yeah. waiting for the answer. You were about to say it, and then you, you stopped. Maybe so. I said it like under my breath, so I was like, I didn't actually have to pick anybody. I, just, <laughs> I pick a. <laughs> uh okay so quick recap then um uh uh, we'll we'll start with uh steve we'll start with your team so steve you took ray lewis uh you took jamal lewis uh you took ed reed jimmy smith and joe flacco so actually this time around we'll go to steve first who's your mvp steve uh ed reed easy Okay. Uh, Sarah, your team, you've got Ray Lewis, Peter Boulware. You also have Ed Reed. Uh, you have Marlon Dude, that Humphrey. Defense. That defense with the Lamar Jackson. I'm totally <laughs> oh winning this. Goodness. I'm totally winning this. Keep going. And you, have Mar- defense. you have Marlon Humphrey as Marlon well. Humphrey too. Oh my gosh. Nobody's getting yeah. past this defense. I got yeah, this. No, I got that this. defense is unstoppable. And you have Lamar. So of those five, who's your MVP? I'm gonna give it to Lamar. Lamar. All right. So Steve going oh, with the uh, the Hall of Famer. Sarah going with the MVP, current quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, I got to side with our guest on this one. Sarah's winning this this round of the third third down, Steve. Dude, and I, here's the thing, Steve. I'm sure you're partly 0-3 because he's being nice to guests, but I really feel like I hands down won that. Yeah, like when you, <laughs> when you said the team back, and like obviously I'm very loose with my criteria clearly with um, who I'm picking. As I'm listening to my team back, I'm like, yeah, I'm getting whooped in this one. Like <laughs> I, I knew the, the L was coming before he even said it. Um, yeah, that's a, that was a lot of fun. Um so just before we let you go here, we want to give you a little bit of time uh, to just kind of do a little bit of shameless plug. What have you been up to? 
what are you currently doing? The floor is kind of yours to promote yourself and tell us what you're up to, where we can follow you. Sure. So most mostly I'm just on Twitter, at SG Ellison. Um, I end up doing <clears throat> lots of different podcasts like you. I feel like I get invited, so I'll be doing uh, – I'll give him a plug. I'm going to go on uh, – Raven, what is it? Baltimore Film Study or is it Ravens Film Study? But with Ken McCusick, so yeah. I told him I'd come on for uh, Thursday night and Friday night. Um, so we'll be doing that this weekend during the draft. Uh, if you want to get instant reaction there uh, during the season, I do um, post game live shows with Kadri Ishmael, kind of give reactions to the game. And I need to get back to it. So I, I don't know if you guys thought I did a study last year. It took me a couple months to do, but mostly because I'm interrupted by kids all the time. But I did a 10-year study on quarterback injuries. And I found that quarterbacks that run the most are not injured the most. They're actually injured below league average. And so my new plan is to always update that every year. So I got to get in and get all the injury information for 2020. But um, I did it because I was trying to convince my husband that Lamar Jackson could make it long-term. And uh, <laughs> and he's a he's a – He's a numbers guy, so if I could convince him, I felt like I could convince everybody, and I brought him around. So um, anyway, so I'll be doing that study again this off season. So look for that, and I'll definitely put it out on Twitter. Yeah, thanks for that, and uh, thanks again for coming on. This was uh, a lot of fun. Also, give your daughter the best happy birthday from both of us. That's uh, super nice that he she would uh, share you on her birthday to come on our podcast. We appreciate that. <laughs> Well, that's very nice of you. I'm sure she's super fine sharing me as she's in bed. So it is it is 12.03 on, on East Coast time right now. So thank you very much for that. I'll, I'll let her know. Very nice of you. Yeah, Sarah, uh, thanks again. We, we know we uh, kept you up really late on the East Coast there. Um, you know, probably a little later than any of us expected after a minor technical difficulty. Um, now, now that Steve is uh his his video is working if you still have it sitting on your desk there do you mind oh, yeah. showing steve the ring sure oh that is so cool so that's the front side of it with the two lombardies and then uh this side is the superdome with the year that the ravens won the super bowl <clears throat> this side has my name and then the raven shield i was saying earlier those two footballs this ring is exactly like all the players. The only thing that's different is I don't have a jersey number. Those two footballs would be the jersey number. And then on the inside, is there any way you can see in there? Yeah. Let me see if I can. It's you see any imprints in there? And, there you go. Yeah. That's all the games. That's the four games in the playoffs and the scores. And then on the other side, you can't see, but it says the team, the team, the team with the Ravens logo. So definitely told you guys first class organization given a nobody like me a Super Bowl ring. So it's pretty nice to have. Yeah. That's so cool. Thank, thanks for showing me thank that. You for sh yeah, thanks for showing that again. I, uh, I, I was trying to take pictures with my phone earlier when you were showing it, and I was it just when you take pictures of a computer screen with your with your phone, <laughs> they, never, they never quite turn out the way they're supposed to, right? <laughs> so um, I, I guess just random question that kind of popped in my head there really quick. If you were to pick a jersey number, what would it be? Oh. Instead of the, instead of the two football the two footballs what what's I mean what's what's your number? Well, you know I would probably just my my son is eleven now and he's been really getting into sports. Um, 
He's the pitcher on, on his travel baseball team. His favorite number is 10. So I think I would do that more for him. I would go 10. Yeah. That's a great, great choice. Um, again, yeah, like, like Steve said, Sarah, thank you for coming on. We, uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, I mean, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun hearing, uh, your stories from your time with the Ravens. Uh, you know, we were discussing, well, well, Steve had to take a bit of a break. Um, you know, even as a, as a Seahawks fan that, you know, it's, there's, I'm going to go back and read that article on the athletic and, you know, I'll, I'll probably pull up some of your, um, you you know, your, your late for work articles as well and, and maybe give those a read. So, so thank you again. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. This is a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks Sarah. See you later. See ya. All right, guys. Well, uh, Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ballhawks podcast. Uh, you know, our, our guest, Sarah Ellison, she was fantastic. We hope you guys uh, enjoyed that as much as we did. Uh, please, if you know, you're listening to us over on Apple podcast, uh, Spotify, Google, wherever you're listening to us. Uh, if you haven't already hit that subscribe button, uh, leave us a review, give us those five stars. Uh, it would be greatly appreciated. And as I say, every week, guys, go Hawks. Peace. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. I want to live at the Blue Hotel. The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd.